All right, here we go. Open up, uh, open up your books. At least we can get going with chapter 10 a bit. Page 131. Tell me, as we get going, tell me, is there, is there anything that jumped out at you as you read this next chapter which wrapped up the Holy Spirit? By the way, today's my anniversary, so I'll be expecting nice big gifts. Thank you very much. Okay. You guys didn't come through for Pastor Appreciation Month, so maybe you'll come through now. Because this involves Abby, of course. Um, 136. Get us going, Kirby. Right. Yeah. Do you think Lutherans talk too much about the Holy Spirit or not enough about the Holy Spirit? I would agree. You know, I said one time in a sermon for Pentecost that the Holy Spirit is the forgotten person of the Trinity in Lutheran circles, and I can't tell you the negative emails I received from that sermon. People were peeved. But the fact that you have to read something like this and you say, wow, that all makes sense, um, just shows you how, <laughs> how deprived we are of the work of the Holy Spirit. Why don't you, let's do this first. Open up your Bibles if you've got one lying there. <laughs> Bible study, Friday morning women's Bible study. Open up to Luke chapter 7. I just want to show you something. I'm, I'm always surprised by, you know, um, well, did they like, did they check you at the door, Chip, or is this just a special dispensation for today? For security reasons. Okay, that's good. Every once in a while, a male sneaks in, and, you know, they all, this is a strong group of women, so just watch out. Luke chapter 7, what he begins in the chapter at least, this is N.T. Wright, what he begins by saying is, you know, the Lord works with his creation via the Holy Spirit really in two ways, through words and through wisdom. And I thought the section there on, on, on the use of word was very, very fascinating. I think he, he begins there on page, let's see, it's about 134. Just open there in your N.T. Wright book and open up to Luke chapter 7 in your Bibles. We'll kind of go back and forth here. Page 134, first full paragraph, Paul spoke this way too. When you received the word, now is that active or passive? Passive, when you received the word, when the word was given to you or done to you, when you received the word of God from us, he wrote, you accepted it not as human word, but as, as what it really is, God's word, which is also at work in you believers. This is the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, bearing fruit, and growing in the whole world. And down a bit further, by the word of Yahweh were the heavens made, sang the psalmist, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. So the Lord speaks eight times at creation. That's very important. The Lord speaks eight times at creation, let there be, uh, and you know that eight is the number that has no end. Right? Eight is the number that has no end. So the way the Lord's going to relate to his creation by the mere fact that he utters let there be eight times means he's going to relate to his creation by speaking. And this is important for you because that's the way you're going to relate to his creation as well. He's going to give you a word to speak. And we'll get to that in just a second with Luke chapter 7. Yes, replied the early Christians, and this same word is now at work through the good news, the gospel, the message that declares that Jesus is Lord. The word is near you, on your lips and in your heart, because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In other words, when you announce the good news that the risen Jesus is Lord, that very word is the word of God. It is not your word, it's Jesus' word. 
And that is a carrier or an agent of God's spirit. So here's your task. I said this you know, a few weeks back, and, I, and maybe you balked at it or maybe you didn't. What N.T. Wright is trying to set up for you here is that your goal or your task in the world is to be a means of grace. And for, you, you, for those of you who have been Lutherans for a long time, you're going to say, well, that's not true. The word is a means of grace and the sacraments are means of grace. Uh, but if you actually believe, as Pastor Bruzek put out last week, if you actually believe that there's perichoresis between Christ and the Christian, meaning that you and Jesus are involved in a dance and what goes for him goes for you and there's a back and forthness. You share all things. This is Luther's great line. All of your sins get dumped on Jesus and all of his grace gets dumped on you. Or as we say at Ascension, this is fascinating. Jesus ascends up into heaven and we all think, poof, he's gone. But as the proper preface says, he went up into heaven so that he might make us partakers of his divine nature. Now think about that. At the Eucharist, and this is what it's all about, at the Eucharist, you don't just consume flesh and blood. You just be a cannibal. And that was always the knock on Lutherans and Roman Catholics. They're just cannibals. And you don't just consume bread and wine or you're just reformed. But you consume the body, the blood, the soul, and the divinity of Jesus Christ himself. Everything that Jesus is and everything that Jesus does actually is put into your mouth and consumed by you. And it's true, you are what you eat. Okay, You are what you eat. If you eat the body and blood of Jesus, you are the body and blood of Jesus. And that should give you a whole new concept or a whole new idea of how the Christian life works. It's not just about coming to church and being forgiven. It's about coming to church and receiving all of who Jesus is and going out and doing what Jesus does. Okay? And we'll see that. Look at Luke chapter 7. Verse 11. Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Jesus raises the widow's son at Nain. This is a great text. Soon afterward... He went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. Now, this is very important here how he sets this up. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. That's very important. The only son of of his mother, and she was a widow. You remember in the Psalms, the Lord says he cares especially for the widows and the fatherless. That's this boy. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And the Greek word there is splachna, which you know is the deepest, most heartfelt compassion you could ever imagine. You actually, you might be able to say you have a splachna sort of compassion, but you'd be actually hard-pressed to be an honest person and say that. This is compassion that, as, as the Greek says, bubbles up from Jesus inside. He had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier. Eighth grade loves that. Not Michelob light, not Bud light. It's the casket. He touches the casket, the beer, and the bearer stood still. Now listen to what happens. Jesus, John 1, is the word made flesh. But Jesus speaks a word here to the boy. Young man, I say to you, arise. Or the Greek word, I say to you, resurrect. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. Now, this is one of the few instances in Scripture where Jesus, oh, you'll hear this on Sunday in the sermon, 
when Jesus raises people from the dead, he always raises them towards something else. He doesn't just raise you to be a puppet. He raises you to be a normal human being. But here in particular, it's fascinating that Luke makes special note of the fact that the young man sits up, he's resurrected, and what does he do? He starts talking. So here's how it works. You have Jesus, the Word made flesh, and you have this boy, and actually in the Greek when it says that he was dead, it says nekros. How many of you have taken the new member class lately? <laughs> yeah, you were around for that one. You were around for the roadkill talk. If you haven't taken the new member class, you all should come back at least for the first three or four weeks because we talk about fun Greek words like nekros, which is just a fancy biblical word for roadkill. By the way, this is a great story. Oh, not a roadkill story, but close. It was almost a roadkill story. It was almost a Pastor Gainick hand-killed story. So I know, it gets good. So I'm out, I'm out on the front porch the other day. Well, I'm cutting the grass because that's what I do, cut the grass. I actually like cutting the grass. It's very relaxing. Cutting the grass. And uh, Vic, you just upped the population. Now we have the divine trinity, you, me, and Chip. Okay. <laughs> so I'm on, a, I'm on a roll today, buddy. Here we go. It starts with confirmation at 745, 8 o'clock. So I'm out on the front porch, and I notice that we have these two flower boxes, big flower boxes, that we never drilled in. We've got a, you know, a wooden deck on the front of the house. We've never drilled it in because Abby likes to move them around, and whatever, that's fine. Well, I see that they're on, they're on, the, on the actual floor of this front porch. And I'm like, that is so strange. They're all knocked over. What happened? And dirt's all over the place. Well, of course, as it probably is in many of your homes, if, if I don't pick it up, no one will pick it up. <laughs> so I'm thinking, yeah, I need to clean that up. It's Sunday. It's after church. I'd forgotten about it. And Abby says the next morning, I heard something banging around on our porch. Like, I don't know what, if something was moving back, I couldn't figure out what it was. And every time I went to the window, it stopped. And this was at 1 a.m. because I'm asleep by then and she's awake. So the next day, Monday, I'm taking the garbage out, and I thought, I'm just going to put these away. So I pick up the one, and I put it away, and I go to get the other one, and it's tipped up upside down, so you can't see what's in it. And I lift it up, and thankfully, it was the tail end of a possum about that big, <laughs> trapped inside the upside down, and it couldn't get out. So it was like, in the dark, it was just running around banging this flower box all over the place. So I'm thinking to myself, necros, that's what I want this thing to be, roadkill. But it's not. But of course, I, I can't see. We had a skunk problem last year, and I couldn't quite see if it was gray or black or black and white. And I thought, that will not go well for me if I get sprayed, with, spray, sprayed by a skunk. So I call animal control. Of course, you know, good thing it wasn't a 911 emergency, because I'm on hold for like nine minutes. And the animal control lady comes on the phone, and I said, um, I said, I think I have a wildlife problem. <laughs> I said, there's something caught in a flower. And I, ex I explained the story to her. And she said, well, sir, we don't deal with wildlife. Here was, here's what I would recommend. And I'm thinking for some good wisdom. She said, get a long stick and turn it over. <laughs> and I just started, I'm like, get a long stick and turn it over. That's all I need is some possum to come after me. And these things, they're mean. So I called Critter Control. And $125 later, because it's called a hand catch. Now, I could have hand-caught that thing, but wouldn't be alive today. So that's my possum story for the week. And then the next day, Abby says, there's something crawling around right underneath the floorboard. I can't tell what it is. I said, crawling around? She said, it's a mouse. Oh, reptiles and rodents. They will not be in heaven. I'm convinced of it. But this boy, 
Chip, that's how I delay, because I had nothing good to say there for about five minutes. Just, it worked for you good. I hope you enjoyed the story. So this boy here is Necros. Now here's what happens. The Word, capital W, the Word made flesh, speaks to the dead boy. The boy sits up, and he begins to word himself. The word words the boy. This is very important. The word words the boy and gives him a word to speak. So when Jesus, when Jesus, the word made flesh, hits you, when he says, I forgive you, he doesn't just forgive you to sit up and be a human being who's now resurrected. He gives you a word to speak. Uh, he words you so that you have a word to speak. Okay? And I can give you another, I can give you another text for this. This actually I used to think was the first instance in the scriptures where the word words someone and gives them a word to speak. But, if you look all the way back to Mary's Annunciation, remember the angel Gabriel, if you've ever seen a picture of this, speaks into her ear, and the first thing Mary does is she goes off into the countryside to visit her cousin Elizabeth, and it says, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, heard her speak, what does she do? She sings the Magnificat. So the word, the angel, gives Mary a word to speak. Mary then words Elizabeth with the greeting. And what does Elizabeth do? She begins to speak herself. And John the baptizer jumps in Mary's, or in Elizabeth's womb. And if you don't believe me, what happens to Zechariah in the temple? The angel speaks a word, he doesn't believe it, and he can't speak. Okay, so you're right. What about Moses? Give it to me. Exactly. That's how it works all over the scriptures. And frankly, that's what he's saying here in this, you know, this very nice paragraph where he basically says, you receive the word of God from us, that's a gospel word, and you become an agent of God's spirit. So don't take that task lightly. Every Sunday when the word words you, I forgive you all your sins, take, eat, this is my body, take, drink, this is my blood, bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine on you. He doesn't word you so that you walk out and live a normal life. He words you so that you go out and have a word to speak. That makes sense? What? All the, yeah, all the prophets are that way. All the prophets are that way. Okay? So just think about that. And then the wisdom bit was very nice because uh, without saying it, he basically said, if you're joined to wisdom itself, you then become wise, which is what we've always said. I mean, this is, this is, this is new member class 101. If you're joined to Jesus, what goes for Jesus goes for you. Okay? Give me something else. What else did you... Yeah. I had a question about the topic page 135. Getting to the wisdom, but he's still kind of talking about Jesus being God's agent in creation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, this is like when we asked the 8th grade, what was Jesus doing before the creation of the world? And they said, just chilling in heaven. I mean, that's one way of looking at the world. However, 
that's not necessarily the Genesis account because, you know, there's within the Trinity, and I'm only saying this because he brings it up, uh, he does bring up the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. In the Trinity, there is unity of being or unity of B-E-I-N-G, being or essence or godness, but there is distinction in person. They all do different things, right? There's, yeah, so they all do different things. However, um, they never do anything alone. So even on the cross, you can say, you know, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were all there. But at creation in particular, the Father speaks, and the Son is the one through whom the speaking goes out, and the Spirit is the one who perfects the speaking. I know that's a little confusing, but the Father is a speaker. It all begins with the Father. He speaks through His Son. Everything happens through Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit makes sure that it's all holy and sanctified and nice and beautiful and perfect. Okay? And that happens even today. That's the same way it works. You come in contact with God first through His Son. And if you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father, and you know that the Son is there, the Spirit's floating around waiting to get after you. Okay? Yeah. 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 That's a very good question. The question is, is that in some respects why we don't have to worry so much about what we say? Because as it says, the spirit, uh, you know, the spirit is within you, um, crying out, you know, in, in birth pangs for, for what's to come. That, I think that is, that's probably the second word. The first word would be, you say what Jesus has already said to you, which is all prayer is. This is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know, prayer book of the Psalms. You're just speaking back to God what he's already said to you. So there's nothing new. But if you can't quite get all the words right, the Holy Spirit's going to take care of it for you. There's a difference between not knowing exactly what to say and intentionally asking for the wrong things. So if you say, let me win a million dollars, you can't say, the Holy Spirit will work that out for me. If you say, and I said this in a sermon two weeks ago, if, you, if your kid's in the ER and you say, I don't know what to say, then say the Jesus prayer or say the Our Father and the Holy Spirit's going to work it out for you. Yeah. I've read it. Kind of interesting. Yeah. He, he's having trouble finding his own voice. Yeah. He doesn't even know who he is or if he's dependent so now. So he, take, he does this thing at the Inchon where he takes authors like Hemingway that he actually respects who have a legitimate, mm-hmm. real voice, and he just types their work. So he sees what it feels like mm-hmm. to type something authentic and good. And right. through doing that, he finds his... Right. Right. He speaks, he keeps continuing to write and take these words that he thinks are true right. and valuable and type them himself as if he's writing them and they sort of um, release his own voice. Yeah. Which is, I don't know. And it, no, that's. It's kind of an interesting, I started thinking about in this case, where if you're taking the yeah. words that are true, because we're all different too. And right. If you speak those words, they're going to be different. But they're exactly. The same Right. If, uh, you know, you say to people who, don't, who say, I don't know how to write well, you say, well, read people who know how to write well. 
Or people say, I don't know how to preach a sermon. Then read good sermons. The, only gra the great thing is, with the Lord, there's no plagiarism. You can say whatever he says, and he doesn't care. And so that's how you learn how to pray. I said once in a new member class, none of you know how to pray, and I got a, uh, uh, some of the evangelicals in the crowd uh, were not too happy with that because, of course, they've been having heartfelt prayers their whole lives, but never in the way of Scripture. You know, Acts 4, this collect form, never that way. So I said, just read good prayers, and then you'll learn how to pray. Well, thankfully, someone came back about five months later and said, I started reading, I did what you said. And I realized I never knew how to pray. Yeah. Another little less cerebral thing that makes me think of it. Um, the, the witness being aided by action and by words. Yeah. And I've always understood that we are forgiven to be free to speak. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To make the effort yeah. and still make it okay. Right. And, and, and then, as he says, mm -hmm. we don't have to worry exactly how we do it, but just jump in and do it. Yeah, and do you, do you, I hope you understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that um, you can't screw up your prayers. What I'm saying is uh, you can't be lazy with them. If you just say, I'm not going to pray and the Spirit's going to take care of it, that's one thing. It's another thing to say, I'm free to address the Father as Abba. And there may be some times when I don't get it completely right, but that's okay. The Lord will take care of all that for me. There's a difference. There's one, you know, one is, um, well, lazy wouldn't be the right word. One doesn't care, and the other cares enough to say what the Lord has already said because you don't want to get it wrong. And, and I, right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I, I was thinking more in, in terms of with somebody else. Yes, right. Prayer. Yeah, right, right. It frees us to, to make the effort with our good intentions and, right. and trust that God will make it okay. Right, right. Somehow, some way. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's a little evangelical. No, it's good. That's good. I actually, Old School is a book that everyone should read. It's a great book. When you get to the end, it's great. I'm not going to tell you, but when you get... Oh, it is... It'll bring you to tears when you get to the very end. Is that who Claire has? That's like dying and going to heaven, literally. Um, what else from that section? Anything that, anything that jumped out at you as you get clipping along here? How about this notion, and I, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, that heaven and earth, as you know, come together in the temple, they come together at the divine service. They also come together in the Torah. And you've got to read Torah not as law. You know, Psalm 1, blessed is the man who delights in the Torah. And Torah, uh, you know, most specifically are the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Is that five? That's five. But Torah is not law. It's not the Lord out to get you. Torah actually is the story of Eden and the story of redemption, the story of bringing you back home. So when it says uh, heaven and earth meet in the Torah, they do because Jesus is there redeeming his people. But the most interesting one is he says now heaven and earth actually meet in you. I mean, just, just, just ponder. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah, exactly. It should be. I mean, just ponder that. You think about all the stuff you do and, all the, and, and the life you've lived and what you think about this class and what you think about church and what you think about your friends, and then you go home and you say, Wow. 
I am the place where heaven meets earth. Which is completely true if you actually believe that you're made a temple of the Holy Spirit. I mean, St. Paul is not making this stuff up. When he says, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, he's not making that up. In fact, he's playing off Old Testament imagery, and I think he may have said this last week, Pastor Bruzek. In the Old Testament, when Solomon builds this glorious temple, he gets all the way done, and then he says, Lord, how are we going to know that you will be here? And what does he say? I will put my name there. And you remember in the Old Testament, if you have the name, you have the person. Nowadays, we just it's so funny how sloppy we are with picking names. That doesn't mean names are bad. It just means, you know, if you name your kid after, oh, I shouldn't say it because maybe one of you have. Well, I'll just say it. And I, they're not gonna, but if you name your kid after a flower or a month, that's, a, that, that's like, is that still going to be cool in 50 years? It may be. May not be. I don't know. And that, oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I knew the minute it came out of my mouth that someone would be in here. If you pick your, that's a name. That's a name. Yes. No, I know it's not a new thing. But think about, think about names people pick today. That's, like, that's, that's painful. A- yeah, apple or a fruit, banana. Go ahead. Save me from this hour. What was the psalm upstairs? 119. 119. Hate. H-E-T-H. There was. Right. Yeah. I'm very sorry. Right. Yeah, at midnight it says. I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. So it begins there. And this is, the, this is what the eighth grade is trying to figure out right now and what the vicar has yet to learn. Oh, he's in the room. Sorry. The Lord begins, I mean, this is pure gospel. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Now that we've been redeemed by you, teach us how to live. That's not the law. That's the gospel. And so it's the same thing then in you. When St. Paul says you're a temple of the Holy Spirit, uh, he says that because at baptism you got the name. Uh, and that's why we don't properly, and I don't know if we still do this. You should keep track of this, Vic. If, uh, if we, before a child is baptized, we used to not pray for them by their first name. We used to say, for the newborn son or daughter of, you know, John and Sally. Because you don't technically get your name until you get to the font. Which is why my whole point, and I never should have brought up months or flowers or fruits, was that names are very important, at least in the scriptures. And for the Lord, the name bears the person. If you have his name, you have all that he is. Uh, The church fathers used to say that a person is comprised of body, 
soul, and name. Now you say, I made up a body and soul. Not for the early church. It was body, soul, and name. Your name conveyed your personality. It conveyed who you were. And so even now in baptism, you get the name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which means you've got all of who God is, and you then are a temple more beautiful than Solomon's temple. And, and you, you, this, may not, this may not be, you know, you may just kind of blow past that, but I tell you what, you talk to a 7th grader or an 8th grader, and boys and girls, real honestly, who are all concerned about how they look and what people think of them and, you know, all of that, and you say, we've had this discussion before, I mean, last year, I'm sure we, I know we did, because I remember you commenting on it. You say, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, which means you are extraordinarily beautiful because of who dwells in you and the name that's been put on you. And that, of course, it doesn't work for everyone. But when you tell kids that, there is a different approach to what beauty is. And beauty is very important to this study because it's one of the four things people are after. If you can begin to say to people, I will show you beautiful things and hold up your baptized child, that's different than saying, you know, come to the museum or come to my church because we have great icons. That's part of it. But I can show you beautiful things because this child has been beautified by Jesus himself. That makes sense? This is part of your ongoing witness. This is part of being formed in the image of Christ. And, and just turn, you know, let's just jump ahead. Just turn to the very end of that chapter. Page 140. I mean, it just, just listen to how he ends this, okay? After all this discussion of unity and distinction and the word wording you to the next best thing, some of you are probably thinking, See, I had it right all along. It's all about the words that I speak, and so I've got to learn my lines. You do have to learn your lines, but that's not the first thing said. Listen to his last paragraph. And it is all because of Jesus that we find ourselves called to live the way we do. More particularly, it is through Jesus that we are summoned to become more truly human, to reflect the image of God into the world. So your great apologetic, then, is not even what you say. It's about being a normal human being. This is, this is so easy. This is so easy. Be a normal human being who is so caught up in the life of Jesus, which doesn't mean that you do certain things. It means you go to the Eucharist. You're so caught up in the life of Jesus that your life begins to radiate the light of Christ. People see that and they love that. They love it. That's what it's all about. It's about being at the Eucharist and then living like a normal human being. One of the, one of the great, one of the great uh, recent Lutheran fathers once said of redemption, he said, redemption is nothing more than God letting men be men. Or in this case, women be women. God letting men be fully men and women fully women. You're not subhuman. You're not just a, a you know, a puppet that recites certain things and hope that people come to faith. You are a living, breathing human being who is so caught up in the life of Christ that what he does, you now do also. And that, I would say that's a tough task if we only had the Eucharist once every four or five weeks. It's all right here. It's all, everything revolves around the Eucharist. Okay? Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. Knowing that we we can trust that yeah that we are the Lord's and that we don't have to participate. We don't, not that we don't participate, right. but we don't have to be self conscious mm-hmm. or um, feeling I don't know tied to someone else's political agenda or right someone else's view of the world. Right. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and the reality is, if he's baptized your brain, then use it well and make the decisions you want, and be happy with whatever happens. I mean, this is this is why he said two chapters ago, it's not about moralism, it's not about the social gospel, it's about Jesus living in your flesh. So just, if you're a mom, be a good mom. That's a witness. If you're, you know, if you work at a camp, be a good camp director. If you're a vic, do what people say. Me especially. <laughs> Right? Come on, you're supposed to laugh at that, buddy. Yes, Pastor, I'll do whatever you say. Thank you very much. Okay. That's just like a prayer. He speaks back to me when I've already spoken to him. This is very easy. This is just, I mean, this, I, you're, the, the word is freedom. There is freedom in this. And, and the thing is then, live your life not as a pietist, not as, you know, if I forget my prayers, I'm going to hell. Live your life as one who rejoices in the gospel. Have a good glass of wine. Have a good bottle of wine. Have a good steak. Love your wife. Love your husband. Do whatever you want to do and know that all of that begins at the Eucharist and ends at the Eucharist. There is nothing more Eucharistic than having a good meal and a good bottle of wine with people you love. That's it. I mean, go, here's, your, here's your to-do tonight. Go home and give a living apologetic. And what I mean is, go buy a big steak and a great bottle of wine and enjoy time with your family. Maybe even invite some friends over. That's your apologetic. Okay? Have a boot. Don't worry about what you say. Worry about living the life that Jesus has called you to live, which is be a normal human being. Okay? See how easy this is? Now, you wonder why when I taught this at River Forest, they all thought I was a, not a nice person. I said, go home and just be normal. This is not hard. Go ahead. Page 137? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. So if it's a bad bottle of wine, well. Yes, okay, good. Okay? So the, the, so the question is, how do those two fit together? Is that right? All right, how do those two fit together? I think it gets back. To the original point, I think that everything begins. I always we just look for a. I was looking for a liturgical design shop, and we were looking for someone to help design the altar. And they spelled altar A L T E R. And I thought they're not going to be our company. If you don't know how to spell altar, like if you're going to change something, I'm going to alter something. If you can't spell altar correctly, you're not designing it for us. Okay. Are you saying that you've been ontologically changed? Is that what you're saying? Because the vicar would say the same thing. Now, I wouldn't because I'm a blue blood Lutheran, but the vic over there, 
He's on the fringe of Eastern Orthodoxy. I didn't know if you knew that. I married an English major, and we used to play board games 24-7. <laughs> but tonight is my anniversary, so I may play Scrabble. You know, that's, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just being truthful. I'm serious. What's that? Triple word score. Okay. But if you, okay, so Chip, very good. If you begin here, here are all you little sinners. Here are the pastors, real damn sinners. Okay? All you all right here. If your life begins here, you can still go out and have the steak and wine and call that Eucharistic because at the altar in the Eucharist itself, there is an extreme amount of suffering. This is like Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross doesn't just bear your sins or my sins. He bears the sins of the entire cosmos. And this is, someone just asked me today, why, or this week, why is community or your specific community, St. John, so important? What I should have said initially was, because that's the place where we bear each other's burdens. And it's been said in this, and, I, and again, and I loved what he said, don't go looking for martyrdom. Don't go searching it out. I mean, people do that in, in different cultures. It's good to be martyred. I mean, why do people blow themselves up sometimes? It's good to be martyred. Don't go looking for it. It'll come to get you. And if it doesn't, or if you don't think it does, then kneel at the altar and look at the crucifix there and look at all the people next to you. Because the people next to you, someone will have committed adultery, someone will have cancer, someone will be dying, someone won't like their spouse, someone won't like their kids, someone won't like whatever. You may not like your spouse or your kids. You're all right here bearing each other's burdens. So there is, as we said last week, there's a dance between Jesus and you, but since Jesus dances with every person in the community, it's one big dance and you all have the same date. Okay? So what goes for everyone else goes for you. Same date, same dance, same suffering, same problems. That's where you suffer. At the Eucharist itself, and then maybe in your own life. But the joy is you leave the Eucharist bodied and blooded, and you can sit at a table then and have steak and wine and say, wow, isn't this great? Even if I am dying of cancer, even if I am angry, even if I am whatever, this is the life that Jesus has called me to live. That answer your question at all? Okay. Exactly. This is Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the yeah. You know, this is, here's the thing. I mean, everyone, you, you'd have to be, you'd have to, you'd have to, you, you would have to have not been here this past week um, to kind of be in the dark about financial troubles and all of that kind of stuff. But what's fast, and Pastor Bruzek mentioned this, I think, at a Sunday morning Bible study, what's been so interesting the past few weeks, and there's been a lot of stuff said and a lot of stuff done, and, and, and just things are not well right now. However, What's great about a situation like this is you see people at the, at the Eucharist being who they truly are. So some people are sobbing that you've never seen sob before. And some people, you know what their struggles are and you know how the Lord's going to sort it out and you know it might take four or five years. And some people are there and you know that they don't like you and you really don't like them. But we're all, what, what this has done, if we can see this whole situation in a gospel way, I think it's very demonic. 
but the Lord can redeem even the demonic. It lets people be who they truly are and express themselves the way that they really want to express themselves. One of the great tragedies is when people come into church all dressed up and say, I can't show you how painful my life is. It's like this is the one place where you can be brutally honest. This is the woman caught in adultery. She can't be honest with anyone except for Jesus. And Jesus refuses to be offended by her. And he refuses to be held back from that woman. It's the same thing here. You can tell me whatever you want, and I will, I, you know, by virtue of the fact that I'm joined to Jesus, I cannot be offended by that. In fact, I should rejoice in what you've said, and then we should all square things up and move on. And that's the joy of the Eucharist, even at a time like this right now, where things look bleak. You can come to the altar and just be, you know, be who you are. Be a normal human being who has struggles. For so often we hide stuff. It's like, why hide it? You're at the Eucharist. Lay it all out. Just leave it all right there. And so this has given us an opportunity to do that. Well, what, way to end on a happy note. <laughs> Let's move on to something better. <laughs> Right. Exactly. Exactly. Go ahead, Beth. Right. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Mm hmm. Right. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And I think you, I think you probably all say, especially, I, I would guess, especially as you, if you've been married a long time. You can, in a very real way, when your spouse gets sick, you can say, I can feel their pain. Right? Different than, you know, 7th and 8th grade boy and girl could feel each other's pain. They may say that, but it's not true. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. I mean, if your child gets hurt or sick or is upset or whatever, you, I mean, that's like, if sex cuts a path to the soul, so does being married and having kids. I mean, well, sex cuts a path to the soul. Took me a second to remember that that's how you have children. <laughs> I missed biology in seventh grade. Um, yeah, exactly. The chicken comes to the other chicken and they have chick. Okay. But that, that's very true. You feel that and it should be. Here's what we're after. That same connection even in the church. And this is why in Ephesians 5, Paul talks about husbands and wives. And then all of a sudden he turns it on his head, on its head and he says, this mystery in the Latin, this sacrament, for those of you who don't think marriage is a sacrament, this sacrament is profound. I'm speaking about Jesus and the church. So when you're at church, you should be able to say, I, I, I actually feel your pain. I feel your pain, which, is, which helps you cope and deliver the good news in a completely different way than you would to the guy down the street who you've never met before and says, oh, my wife doesn't love me. No, this is your community. This is your 
these people are married to Jesus with you. They're part of the body with you. If your foot hurts, your entire body feels it. Okay? Make sense? And only the Eucharist can do that. And I'm not banging on other denominations, but you don't have that same connection unless that connection with Jesus is there. That's the only way it happens. Okay? That's the only way it happens. There is love. But greater love hath no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends, which is the Eucharist. That's, that's, that's the Jesus laid down, come back for you. It is, all about, it is all about love. But Jesus is the only one who says, I am love. I mean, he's the only one that can say that. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, right. So it's from the outside. Right. From the outside, I think people, they're not seeing that, hey, they're taking the body of Christ together. What they're seeing is they're right. supporting one another, and I guess it's a cause and effect thing. Right. But also, there's let us love one another, Lord, as God is. Mm-hmm. You know, if there isn't love, then you don't know God. Right, right. But just get this, get this paradigm in your head. Everything begins and ends at the altar, which you, of course, have. I mean, that's your, you wouldn't send your boys here at 7 o'clock in the morning on a Thursday if it didn't begin and end at the altar. But just if you have that paradigm, it makes everything so easy. I mean, some of you may leave and say, all they talk about is the Eucharist, or this is just too simple, it can't be right. Simplicity, I think, is a virtue. Um, and, and to be truly brilliant or to be truly Christian is to know how to say things that are very complex in a very simple way, uh, which is certainly the way of Jesus. There's never a time, I mean, why does Jesus use parables? Because they can't get what he's saying. <laughs> okay? So it is very simple. It's all about the Eucharist. Go there and the Lord will sort everything out. It's funny how people receive that as pastoral care when I say, just go to the Eucharist. Like, that can't be it. Just go to the Eucharist. You don't love your wife? Go to the Eucharist. That's it. There's nothing else there. Yeah, Chip. So is the Eucharist like the blessed sacrament? Like is it outranked the other one? Is it yeah, in heaven. Have you, ever been to a, have you ever been to a hockey game where like they put the Dunkin' Donuts donuts up on the screen and what everyone wins if you're in that section, you get a... That's how it is with the Eucharist. No, I'm kidding. No, they're all... The difference is... Well... Yeah, there, well, there, there are a number of sacraments. I mean, to be a Lutheran means you confess at least baptism, the Eucharist, and absolution. Um, and, and certainly one is not better than the other because to say that, that would be completely in the way of the law. You wouldn't rank them. However, uh, first comes baptism, then comes marriage. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes a baby and a baby carriage, right? First comes baptism, then comes the Eucharist. So you get baptism, that brings you into the kingdom. This is Sunday morning Bible study. That's incorporation. And the Eucharist is participation. Okay? Yeah, exactly. Do you, re- do you remember, did you ever hear the story when, you know, when, when you know, the government takes over, takes over all the churches, you only do what the government says. You remember this time when finally churches were allowed to have the Eucharist again, and there's this great story about a Russian priest who sat at his altar and, and the line was out the door 
to go to confession and to go to the Eucharist. Because it was so long without it. So long without it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that, and that doesn't mean that they're not Christians, of course. It just means the Lord's got so many gifts for them, it'd be nice if they could have more. So the Eucharist is everything because that's what we have now. You're baptized and you're on to the next thing, which is the Eucharistic life. And that then sustains you along the way. Now someone will raise their hand, I can feel it coming, and say, absolution. Since when has that been a sacrament? And I'll say, at least since 1580 in the Book of Concord where it says, absolution is a sacrament. <laughs> so I'm not making it up. I'm just saying. And, that's, and, that's, and people who come to, come to absolution on a regular basis I think find that absolution is not the same as the Eucharist because it's Jesus in a different way. He's back in your ear now. Remember, Jesus comes on your forehead, your ear, and your mouth. So it's, a, it's the same Jesus, just given a different way, but it has sometimes, um, it has the same impact on people in many respects as the Eucharist does because Jesus just crawls in through your ear just like he did for Mary. He crawls in through Mary's ear and he takes up residence in her body, and that's what he does to you. But the Eucharist is the sustainer of life. So it keeps you along the way. You're baptized once, boom. And the great tragedy is we baptize people and then we don't feed them for years and years and years. I mean, you have a child, you feed it. The great, the great line was from Patrick Henry Reardon, the Orthodox priest, who, you know, you, all, you, sh- you might know that the Orthodox commune infants. And he, we had lunch with him and we said, you give the, the Eucharist to children. And he said, uh, he said, well, yeah, I do. And we said, why do you do that? And he said, so that they never, know a day, they never go a day in their life without having the Eucharist. And when they're 40 or 50, they can look back on their life and never remember a day without the Eucharist. That's different than an eighth grader who's, you know, smoking cigarettes and drinking his father's stuff out of the... And we say, no, no can't have it just yet. That's a little rant and rave there. You know where I stand on the issue. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, who knows it? Raise your hand if you know it. Who knows that absolution's a sacrament? Yeah, okay, so here's the, here's the problem. Here's the problem. The problem's not with you. The problem's actually with pastors. No, 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 it's not, it's not on you. No. <laughs> yeah. No, you probably didn't. Your pastor did. So here's, here's what happened. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
Right. Pastors miss a lot of things. I mean, no, it's no, it's not. Here's well, let me just let me just explain it. Who said, "Oh boy"? <laughs> let me let me just explain. Yeah, that's good. Good, perfect. Well, okay. Well, this is what Jesus says. So I'm just saying what Jesus says. Just being honest. I mean, here's the thing. You can bang on me a little, I'll bang on you. A little back and forth. No, I'm just saying what Jesus says. Okay, so here's the thing. In the Roman Catholic Church, there are how many sacraments? Do you know? You probably know. There are seven. There are seven sacraments in the Roman Catholic Church. They are baptism, Eucharist, absolution, slash penance, whatever you want to call it, ordination, confirmation, marriage, and last rites. Okay, or anointing of the sick, anointing of the, of the dying, whatever you want to call it. Now, all of those, if you define a sacrament the way that Rome does, make perfect sense. A sacrament, and, and, and a sacrament in its most basic form, basic sense, is something that conveys the divine through matter. Okay? And, and here's the thing. I'm saying this is a Roman Catholic teaching, but just think about it. It actually makes sense. Conveys the, conveys the divine through matter. So then Rome would even go on to say, there are many things that are sacramental. For instance, creation is very sacramental. The divine is somehow conveyed through matter. Now, you and I would probably say, hmm, sounds a bit pantheistic. Like, do you really see Jesus in that, in that rabbit, like N.T. Wright says? Lutherans then, um, in the 16th century, rebelled uh, against the Roman sacramental system. Now, they rebelled against it, because of what the intention of the sacraments were. The intention was not to deliver the divine through matter. The intention was to help you work your way to heaven. Now, when I say seven, seven was, frankly, from about, uh, let's say, 40 A.D. up to about the 16th century. I mean, from the, from the early church, they said, yeah, we got seven sacraments. I mean, we confirm you right after baptism with oil. We... So this is, this, is not a, this is not a new thing. The problem is they abused it. Like anything else, they just abused it. They said, come to these sacraments, and if you do it the right way, you'll earn your way to heaven. The, most, the clearest example is absolution. If you don't come to absolution and then do penance, you're not forgiven. Now, we all know that's not true. You pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses, and he forgives you. You come to absolution for a Lutheran, and there's no penance. Why? Because he forgives you when he speaks, it happens. In rebellion, though, the Lutherans said there are three sacraments. Now, the marriage was a throwaway comment, and I'm only saying that because in the text it says, Lo, I tell you a mystery, and when the church, you know, when the church since the third or fourth century translated that into Latin, they said sacramentum, I tell you a sacrament. So the church has always, for uh, 1,600 years, translated that as sacrament. But Lutherans said, no, there are three. There is baptism. Uh, Eucharist and absolution. Okay? And absolution. And what they, the way they described it was that's just the baptismal life. If you're baptized and you come to the Eucharist, you also go to absolution, private absolution. And then in the Book of Concord, which you know, Gigi referred to, there are, there are a number of other things that are said to be 
very sacramental and maybe even possibly sacraments. So these are the official things. So when I went face down on the ground in front of you and the Lord and said, I promise, one thing I promised to uphold were the teachings of the Book of Concord. In fact, I said I'll give my life on that. So for me to just say, you're right, it's not absolution, would be to deny my ordination. So that's part of the reason why I'm so adamant about this. Other pastors got it wrong. They weren't faithful. But that doesn't mean that I can't be faithful. So that's what I'm trying to tell you. Okay, so they said, they said, they said there are three, baptism, Eucharist, absolution. They also said, and if we understand the office of the ministry in relation to word and sacrament, not about you're the mediator between God and man, no one can know Jesus except for you, you, you know, somehow miraculously bring about the, the body and blood. If we understand that as a ministry that serves people with body and blood and the word, they said we don't hesitate to call ordination a sacrament. So there you've got possibly a fourth one. And then it says later on, and in fact, we don't really hesitate to call marriage a sacrament. Okay, because in Ephesians 5, it says, lo, I tell you a sacrament. Jesus puts two people together. The divine is conveyed. Jesus makes them his image through matter, a husband and a wife and a pastor who blesses them. So there are all these other things that are considered kind of sacramental, very close, on the verge. Yeah, I mean, I hesitate being on the radio and saying marriage is a sacrament because I'll get an email. However, only one, none from you. However, it's, ex it's extraordinarily faithful. Faithful to my ordination, which is faithful to Jesus. Faithful in my life to say there are three for sure sacraments in the Lutheran Church. Baptism, absolution, and the Eucharist. Now, here's the problem. Um, for years and years and years, and this is, this is the whole, this is the impetus for this class. The whole tenor of the Lutheran Church and, and I'm, I'm younger than most of you, but this was even the tenor of my church growing up, so I can, I can claim it as my own as well, was whatever was Roman Catholic was bad. And so for years and years and years, we took out especially absolution, because to go to a pastor alone, that's Roman Catholic, so that can't be a sacrament. It just can't be. Well, we said it was. We gave all the biblical verses. John 20, go out and forgive sins. Receive the Holy Spirit. That's your job. Boom. So all these things then, because they had Roman overtones, were denied a bit. And the point is, as we say to the joy group, because uh, that, that's that generation, don't be defined by what you hate. So all that being said, here's my question back. And maybe, maybe it would be different for you because you're here, but I wonder if you went to another Lutheran church, like the one Beth is talking about in Russia or any other Lutheran church in the area. Do we talk too much about and focus too much on and participate too much in sacraments. Again, take St. John out of the picture. Or do we not talk enough about, participate enough in, celebrate enough the sacraments? Because you, you go to Lutheran churches, they have the Eucharist once a month. They withhold baptism for a little while. They certainly, there's some, I know, I know many very nice pastors who, who I've met who say, hear confession, I'm not going to hear confession. So the question really is, do we do it too much or do we not do it enough? And the problem at the time of the Reformation was they were doing it too much for all the wrong reasons. And they said, let's cut this back. So the question today is, are we doing it too much or not enough? And that's the reason for the talking so much about uh, multiple sacraments. The Lord has so many gifts to give. Why wouldn't you want to participate? And you shouldn't hear sacrament as, 
Roman Catholic, here sacrament as the way Jesus gives himself through physical things. That's where you want Jesus. That's all it is. So I, I apologize. I shouldn't have said you all know this. That, that was not the intention. I did think more of you knew this, real honestly. But that doesn't mean it's on you. It means it's on your pastors. Yeah. Sunday morning, every absolution is sacramental. Every time the pastor forgives your sins, that's sacramental. Um, and so those of you who say, you know, I don't come to private confession, that's okay. You pray the Lord's Prayer, and the Lord forgives you, that's sacramental. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. 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 Exactly. Completely understand. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and part of it is, I think the response, at least for me, the response is always, how come no one ever told me this? Like, if this was such a good thing, how come no one ever told me that, whoa, marriage is more than just like a little ceremony. It's actually a big deal. How come no one told me that when the Lord forgives me, that's a sacramental thing? I feel, I feel deprived, and, and that makes me a little upset. It's not just that we weren't told. Yeah. It's that we were told differently. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, right. Right. Not to believe. Yeah. yeah. And, and then all of a sudden you're told, well, that's wrong. And it's just sort of, yeah. it's like being brought up by your parents who knows about what they were. They know what they're talking yeah. about. They find out they didn't know what they were talking about. That's right. Well, here's, that's, that's actually, that's well said. And, and here's why it's well said. Because here's what you don't want to be. I mean, just, just think about it. Think about it as you go home. You never want to be defined by what you don't agree with or don't like or even hate. And for a long time, that's how I think many Christians were defined by what they didn't like, especially if you were evangelical slash Protestant slash Lutheran, and on the other side, you're Roman Catholics. 
you know, the, the problem with sometimes with the catechism is, you know, it's some of its negative statements. We don't believe this. We don't believe. Well, how about we talk about what we do believe? What we do? So here's what we're getting after. Don't think in terms of Lutheran church, at least for now. Don't think in terms of this is the Missouri Synod way, because the Missouri Synod is all screwed up. I can't believe that's on the radio. It's true, though. They're all screwed up. Think about the Jesus way. And just read the scriptures and say, as far as the sacraments go at least, what are the ways in which God gives himself to me in concrete, tangible ways? And if you read it that way, you, you may not say there are seven, and that's fine. I wouldn't say there are seven. However, you may say it's more than baptism in the Eucharist. Because what you want, at the end of the day, you're not going to die a Missouri Synod Lutheran. You're going to die a Christian who's joined to the flesh of Christ. And, you know, it, it, it always, in some way it pees me when people make these jokes about, oh, the place the Lutherans will have in heaven. I'm like, man, shut up. You don't talk that way. You know, you're going to be right next to a Roman Catholic, and guess what? Not you, but someone else. You're going to love it. What's the Jesus way? No, I don't mean not you. I mean, I'm not we're talking to you. That's a, Yeah. You're going to love it. I mean, you're just going to love it. So what's the Jesus way? Here's what Jesus says. Take, eat, this is my body. Go out and baptize. He says to pastors, go forgive sins. I don't have any trouble with that. Yeah. I don't have trouble with any of that. It's just that... It's a new thing. It sounds new. It's not, it's not even that it's new. I just always assumed it, it was rolled into the other. Yeah, right. It's not laid up. It's just rolled in. You know, that's just part of it. Yeah. 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 I... I Go ahead. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly right. Let me, Mary Lou, do you have something? They were having private confession and Right. But it was something that I certainly grew up with. Yeah. So when you guys announced that you're going to have private confession, that's right. Well, you know, in the old in the old Lutheran hymnals, they never had confession absolution at the beginning of the service. 
And the, the, the rationale was because everyone went to private confession. So you began the service with the Kyrie. You're ready to go. Yeah, I mean, all confession is is wiping off your feet before you enter in the house. And people all went to that, to their pastor. And it was always private. I mean, there were no, like, confession services. That's, a, that's an innovation. Sometimes, you know, TLH, they have this confession service that you can do before the Eucharist. That's an innovation. It was always, you went to your pastor and confessed your sins, and then you're ready to go to the altar. So, Vic. Yeah, it's the same, the question, it's the same, yeah, it's the same words, and it's the same absolution. Absolution is absolution is absolution. You pray the Lord's Prayer, you're absolved. If you go to church, you're absolved. If you come to private confession, you're absolved. But you've got to remember what the number one job of a pastor is, which, which is the comfort of the terrified conscience, which is why the private confession right begins, or, or in the middle, right before you confess, what troubles me particularly. Now, there may be times in your life when you say, nothing troubles me, um, but my guess is if you make private confession a routine, you'll find that more stuff troubles you than what you actually think. I mean, the reason Oprah makes a killing is people go on there and confess their sins. The problem is she can't forgive them. That's all they do. I mean, that's all that is. Talk about how you hate your husband. Just say that to a pastor and it's all squared up. She does give gifts. She does give gifts. Yeah, I mean, especially, especially given the budget constraints, we can't really give out new cars and stuff. But she does give gifts. One last thing. End us on a good note. Come on now. Give it to me. <laughs> Right. That it was um, Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I, can t- I can tell you a 30-second cool story from this week, which falls along these lines. We, you know, we call through all of our visitors every week, and we call the young family. Um, and, and I, of course, didn't know her name because it was on, wasn't on the sheet, but her husband wasn't home. And I said, hey, you visited all saints. You know, thanks for coming. If you're ever roundabout again, stop in and see us. And it was fascinating because she said um, she, her husband goes to basically like a Bible church and she goes to, it may have even been like Church of Jesus Christ of Latter, I mean almost like a, like a non-Christian church. But she said, we were there and we came home. I said, how did you like the service? Was the liturgy, the liturgy put you off a bit? She said, the liturgy? The liturgy was beautiful. And she said, the sermon... This is, this is a point for an eight-minute sermon. She said, all we hear are these 40-minute sermons that don't apply to our lives and we can't get anything out of it. I heard one thing in the sermon, and I took it home and I thought about it all week. She said, the community was so nice. The nursery was great. We loved everything about it, but we don't believe in infant baptism or transubstantiation, she says. Now, she's got it wrong about transubstantiation, of course, but here's, what I, here's the thing. She's already sucked into the community. 
So what she needs now is a little teaching. I said, come see us at the new member class and we'll talk about that. And I can promise you that because the community sucked her in in such a way, some of the theological things she's grown up with, like you two, will be much easier to solve now that she finds a place here in this community. Doesn't mean she's not going to put up a fight or disagree, but once you've got them wrapped up, that's half the battle. Instead of calling her and saying, you don't believe in transubstantiation, we're going to talk about this. I said, come back and see the community again and come see us. We'll work it all out. I mean, that's how the church needs to work, and that's what we're trying to push you towards. Okay? Nothing next Friday, and then we will come back the Friday after uh, the first Friday in December. Is that okay with everyone? Anyone change their minds? Can I correct something I might have said earlier? If Carol Walter said there's child care next door, there's child care next door. I won't argue with her. Yeah. That's why you have a vicar. He can watch your kids. Yeah, he did, because he knew it was coming. All right, perfect. Let's close in the Lord's Prayer. Thanks for a great discussion. This is always fun. Here we go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. Have a great week.